Hello everybody and welcome to Sydney Oz Comic Con 2014. Are you all having fun on day two? Excellent. What, I thought we'd just come out and explain a little bit about what we're doing out here today. So we are a weekly podcast uh, called Behind the Panels. We actually go out every week on iTunes and on our website and other places that podcasts are aggregated. We like to think of this podcast as uh, a little bit like Oprah's Book Club, but you know for geeks and nerds, okay? So, <laughs> so the show starts with a little bit of news and we talk about what we've been reading and then we go in-depth in the second half of the show where we talk about one particular book, whether it's a classic or whether it's something new. Uh, so normally on this show, we actually have a third person. So there's myself, David McVeigh, and David Longo is normally in the third seat. However, he is an active filmmaker and he is off making a movie right now, so he couldn't be with us, so he has an excuse. Uh, but we are joined uh, by a guest for today. <laughs> Ryan K. Lindsay is a comic writer and also writes about comics. Uh, in addition to his current works, Headspace on Monkey Brain. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, okay? <laughs> the Dear Editor, One Shot, and a piece in the latest Vertigo Quarterly. There you go. Yes. Uh, he's been the editor and lead contributor on two books of Daredevil essays and a stack of other work you can find on RyanKLindsay.com. Join me in welcoming Ryan K. Lindsay to our stage. And now, without further ado, I think we should introduce uh, our esteemed host, our leader of our show, the man who is, this is not possible without, and uh, we have to introduce Mr. Richard Gray. <laughs> Hello, Richard. How are you? Showboat as always. Starlord, man, come on. <laughs> uh, okay, let me just change microphones here and we're going to get started. Okay, I think we're going to get this show started in three, two, one. Oh, technology fail. Technology fail always happens. Ooh, what I meant to say was in three, two, one. It came out of the night sky, wings 30 feet across. One of the felons I had not yet disarmed produced a gun, fired point blank. The bullet passed right through the creature, like it wasn't even there. Something flew from its hands, little dark things paralyzed everyone, except me. It singled me out. My spider senses are starting to tingle. Just hang on to your lariat! Wonder what kind of a scene I'm getting into. And welcome to Behind the Panels, issue 110, the comic book show that's coming to you live from Oz Comic Con. Can I get some noise, please? Thank you. In this issue, Supergirl might come to TV, writer and beard enthusiast Alan Moore writes a book, and the new Batmobile is cited. Then Wolverine is still not dead. Uh, things get pretty fly and some kind of blue in what we've been reading, plus our kick-ass pick of the week, Batman Year One with special guest Ryan K. Lindsay. This is Behind the Panels. Darkness. No parents. Continue darkness. More darkness. Get it? The opposite of light. Black hole. I think that's pretty much sums up. Lego Movie summed up Batman for me perfectly. Darkness. No parents. But, but I'm, I'm rich, so it's okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> which we could, that's our book today. We're doing Batman Year One, which covers all of that and more, but that's not just yet. One thing I should say up front, 
Hang on to your tickets. If you've got your tickets, we all got little tickety tickets. Excellent. Because stay in your seats as well. Hold on to your seats. Because if you walk away, two things will happen. One, we'll publicly shame you. And two, you'll miss out on winning some fabulous prizes that we have, uh, including a copy of the book today, this week's pick um, and some fabulous other giveaways thanks to our friends at King's Comics. And support your local comic store. <laughs> we have, uh, for the first time on stage, Mr. Ryan K. Lindsay. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, when we first approached you to say, is there a book you'd like to do, I mentioned Year One as a book, and your response was fairly enthusiastic. I was like, Year One! Woo! I, am, I love this book, but I'm really keen to like pick it apart still. Um, but I think I will leave like modern, current Frank Miller maybe off the table. Yeah, the we, we have, table, to, as we have to establish there's at least three Frank Millers in the world, <laughs> and we're talking about the best one today. Uh, Ryan, you've got, we've mentioned a couple of things that you've got out. Your latest book that you've got printed here in front of you is The Magnificent Deer Editor. Yes, it is, uh, it's a story of a uh, newspaper editor of the crime beat who's also a deer. Uh, nobody really minds, which is kind of cool. It's basically uh, Polanski's Chinatown if Nicholson had antlers. <laughs> if Jack Nicholson had antlers, we'd all be in trouble. That'd be awesome. <laughs> it would be so awesome, cool. though. Uh, and he'd probably be in the front row, like a Laker girl. It'd With be sunglasses. Great. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah it'd, it'd, be, it'd be fantastic. Uh, what else? You've also got Headspace still running uh, on Monkey Brain Comics, and you can also get that on Comixology, right? Absolutely, yeah. Headspace is uh, it's kind of like a Philip K. Dick crime mashup about a uh, sheriff who figures out that the town he's in is actually inside the mind of a killer. And he has to work out how he got in there, how he gets out, and uh, trying to survive a bunch of manifested nastiness because the killer's mind is a dangerous place to be in and it is available on Comixology through Monkey Brain Comics in the States that's 99 cents an issue I have a con exclusive of the first issue uh, at my table and your table is just over there in Artisali so go, go look for Ryan go afterwards. buy his stuff buy things because <laughs> he gives us a cut no you don't give us a cut do you no not the slightest <laughs> I will cut you you'll cut me it's about as close as it'll get <laughs> The, uh, we're looking for, look, this is the current stuff that's out at the moment, but one thing we like to do on Behind the Panels is look backwards. Because we love our comics and we love the way comics have been treated in the past. Because let's face it, now is a golden age for comic book movies and television, but it wasn't always that way, was it, David? No, it wasn't, but we also have to stress here that if it, uh, if it works, <laughs> I want a big cheer from the audience because this clip didn't work yesterday. Didn't work at all. <laughs> so, here we go. with my heart in my throat, this is the vintage clip of the week. Ring the teeming metropolis of Gotham City, a large house rears its bulk against the dark sky. Outwardly, there's nothing to distinguish this house from many others. But deep in the cavernous basements of this house, in a chamber hewn from the living rock of the mountain, is the strange, dimly lighted, mysteriously secret Bat Cave, hidden headquarters of America's number one crime fighter, Batman. Yes, Batman clad in the somber costume which has struck terror to the heart of many a swaggering denizen of the underworld. Batman, who even now is pondering the plans of a new assault against the forces of crime. A crushing blow against evil in which he will have the valuable aid of his young, two-fisted assistant, Robin the Boy Wonder. I'm sorry, but of my imagination, or does that not strike fear into me? <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, Batman in his bat cave, I want to point out. <laughs> and his, his two-fisted assistant. His young two-fisted assistant, ready to strike terror into the swaggering mm -hmm. underworld. Yes. 
uh, as we are today. Uh, <laughs> uh, David, we've uh, looking backwards, looking uh, to the current stuff. Uh, this is a section we like to call what we've been reading. So, David, we have a button for that. We do. Where looks like we got ourselves a reader. Read between the lines, bitch. Yes, we will. Uh, a couple of things came out this week in the comic book stores that we need to highlight because we all love our comics. Death of Wolverine. David, update me. Is Wolverine dead? Uh, spoilers, he's still alive. Wolverine is still alive because... I think Fox has still got a few movies to milk out of him. Can we just get realistic about this for a minute? Because they're not going to kill off their biggest cash cow. No, probably no. not. But uh, the art's really good. <laughs> the, the art is magnificent. Buy the book for the art or, or wait for the trade. But they've already shown in continuity Mark Guggenheim killed him and showed what happens when he dies and how he comes back. So yeah. it is already built in continuity Old how and Logan. why and when he will yeah. come back. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, but what, it, what is canon and what is not canon is the question. Hey, There's a bird. That's the first time we've had a bird <laughs> during a, a show. Plane. That is awesome. Out oh. of the back <laughs> Come up to see me afterwards. Oh, I'll give you a prize. I see what you did there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing that came out, uh, that I, a couple of things I've been reading here that you can get at the con. Uh, there's a book called Fly. Uh, by uh, Andrew Constant over at the and Catherine Mann over you can get that over at the Gestalt booth. This is great. This is uh, it's it's I think uh, it was described by the author as an all ages book gone sideways. <laughs> so uh, go and check this out. And also a book that I particularly liked I picked up yesterday, uh, Some Kinds of Blue, which is an anthology of short stories, uh, comic short stories on depression. So I really wanted to plug that again. Head over to Artis Alley. Um, Ryan, have you, anything you've been reading lately that's caught your attention? Yeah, yeah. There's a book called The Brothers James, which you can uh, you can buy digitally or you can get the print uh, versions through Comixology or through uh, the readchallenger.com website. It's written by a mate of mine in Canada, Ryan Ferrier, and it's drawn by uh, Brian Level. Though the first issue was actually done by Michael Walsh, who does Secret Avengers now with oh, Alice okay. Cott. Yeah. Um, I, I just had a chance to read the fourth issue, which hasn't actually landed yet, but it is absolutely amazing. It's a uh, sort of grind house poppy tale of two brothers uh, setting off in their, their Trans Am trying to get revenge for their parents who died many many years before and it is just really gritty and really nasty and the art is fantastic and the final page of uh, uh, issue four I cannot wait for the next issue like it was really really good so I would say try and track that down the brothers James really good it's stuff actually one of my favourite things in a comic book is when you finish it and you cannot wait for the next issue yeah. that is like a key to this um so uh, I think it's time, David, uh, moving swiftly along. We should say, by the way, if things go horribly wrong in particular, you want to live tweet this, you can live tweet this out <laughs> with the two hashtags because we all like to be publicly shamed. Um, if we're going to publicly shame them, it's fair that we get publicly shamed as well. That's, when that's go absolutely wrong. <laughs> right, because you will be publicly shamed by the end of the show. Um, hashtag panels live, hashtag Oz Comic Con, let them know you're watching. Uh, and well, after the show, head along to our website. It's all up there. You'll see that slide a few times. But David, I think it's time for some news headlines. Let's do it. Deadline confirms that CBS has given a series commitment to the Supergirl TV show. Fox announces a Deadpool film for 2016 that pushes the Fantastic Four reboot back by a few months. 
DC and Machinima will team up for a new short-form web series, Justice League, Gods and Monsters Chronicles, from producers Bruce Timm and Alan Brunetti. Nice to see Bruce Timm back. Hey. Marvel matches Mad Titan against Green Goliath in December with Jim Starlin's four-part Thanos versus Hulk. Plus, Powers relaunches under Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming. Writer and Rasputin impersonator <laughs> Alan Moore will ban the six-issue Crossed Plus 100 series for Avatar Press starting in December. Acclaimed actor Scott Glenn has been cast as Stick in Marvel's Daredevil for Netflix. Excellent. Amanda Pays will reprise her role from the original Flash series when she joins CW as Dr. Tina McGee. And finally, another Guinness record was broken uh, with 542 employees of Nexon Energy gathered in full Batman costumes outside their Calgary headquarters for charity. Awesome. Uh, This is about the time of the show. We're we're barreling through this, but it gives us more time to talk about one of the greatest comics ever written. Oh, I think we'll need more time, too. The amount of stuff we can get out of year one is If I just buried the lead on this one. But it's uh, time... And again, fingers crossed, big cheer if the video works <laughs> for our kick-ass pick of the week. Well, see how you like this. What is it, Batman? Whatever it is, it's, it's awfully funny. <laughs> it's the pick of the week. He's here! Shoot up, Simon! Twelve years, and the ache is still fresh. Like a raw, angry nerve. This isn't about healing. I'm not looking for closure. wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. And the video worked. <laughs> hey. And we have no more videos. We can all relax slightly now. We can all relax and just calm down now. <laughs> Batman Year One. Now, if you're looking to start reading a Batman book, this is probably where you start reading. This book was first published all the way back in February to May 1987. In the issues, it was it was released as part of the Batman series, issues 404 to 407, if you want to go and spend a fortune somewhere on those. And along with the book we did yesterday, which was uh, Batman the Killing Joke, uh, Batman the Dark Knight Returns, and maybe even Death in the Family, which came out in 88, this is the, these are the books that kind of pushed Batman away from that kitschy 60s vision that everybody had there's something a little darker that we still have today both in the comics and of course on screen and then Joel Schumacher just brought it all back again and and then Joel Schumacher (laughs) added the bat nipples as we all know Um, but of course in this book there are no bat nipples that we're aware of Uh, I didn't see any any. any. I'll go through later I'll go through the digital copy later this is of course by the great Frank Miller art by David Mazzucchelli with colours by Richmond Lewis Uh, bit of context uh, Frank Miller uh, at the time, had just come off an amazing Daredevil run. He'd done Wolverine over at Marvel with Chris Claremont. Uh, he'd done the amazing Ronan. If you haven't heard of this, go and check this book out. This is really European-inspired, re- European-inspired sort of Bond Destiny stuff. He's he's sort of Mobius, if you know that artist. He's sort of really inspired by that. Um, and of course, uh, he'd done Dark, uh, the Dark Knight Returns. 
at uh, this stage. Uh, Mazzucchelli, of course, had also come off some Daredevil, including uh, Born Again with Frank Miller. This is probably one of my favourite comics ever, Ryan. You picked this without hesitation. Would you like to start by telling us why this is such a fantastic book? It's, it's not as in the perfect place to start with Batman, but it's possibly... It's, it's possibly the best crafted Batman story, especially looking at sort of purity of the character. A character is had a myriad sort of ways of being shown and being represented. And I mean, Grant Morrison threaded it all into one man's life, but Frank Miller really boiled it down, repackaged it and brought it out with obviously great help from Mazzucchelli. But I think it's, it's probably one of Frank Miller's best works, if not his best work. I always feel like Dark Knight... Uh Returns. 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 I always want to say Rises. Goddamn movie. <laughs> Batman Returns yeah. is the most Miller of Miller books, but year one is just a clinic on really crisp, clean storytelling. It's four issues. They pack in a year. They pack in real character arcs. And I like that Commissioner Gordon is... I always feel like it's more a Gordon story than Batman, to be honest, mm. but... Uh, I think it's a balance, which is something I definitely want to talk about. Yeah, you've got those dual narratives running throughout the book, and it's really different to a lot of books. You've got uh, a lot of uh, sort of caption voiceover work happening. Mm-hmm. It's being every, I think the alternate issues, uh, or at least alternative uh, arcs, are being told by from the different perspectives, from both Gordon's perspective and yeah. from Bruce Wayne, Batman. Uh, sorry, spoilers, Bruce Wayne is Batman, just in case... <laughs> Uh, and he wasn't sure. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, uh, from Bruce Wayne Batman's perspective uh, yeah. as well. So you've got that going through. And I think I really like that it's being told from Gordon because you get that kind of the Batman story, but from the man on the street, yeah. almost. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, what does the average man think of this thing that's happening? Uh, I, also, I also really love the fact that they paint Commissioner Gordon as a flawed character. Mm. So from the beginning, he's coming to Gotham because he's been shamed in his previous position. Yeah, it's and all alluded to, and you know that something's gone wrong in the past, but they play him as the White Knight. He's like the ultimate cop, and he won't break bad with the rest of them, yep. even though they're breaking him literally. Mm, mm. He stays so staunchly want to be perfect, <laughs> and yet then we see him crack in a different way. His policing stays perfect, but him at home... Uh, and again, obviously, if, you, if you're here, you don't mind the spoilers, but he ends up cheating on his pregnant wife, which, I mean, as far as lows go for a man, mm, yeah. well, not I brought a cop, this, but a man, that's very low. I brought this uh, panel up on screen, which is probably the, uh, uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the best panels that, that sort of typifies this in the whole book, which is this whole internal monologue that Gordon has, that his whole belief system's been structured. He's there sitting on the edge of the bed, sort of on one hand, he's been encountered with Batman, mm. who is violently assaulting people, but they're all criminals. And on the other hand, he believes in law and order, but the police are all corrupt, including the commissioner. So he's got this sort of, for the first time in his life, maybe he's questioning what's right, what is 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 legal better than good, or yeah. and all those sorts of things. And it's interesting to note with that scene. I always I always think about when I write. I have like a real philosophy that the the page I write today, I could not have written it yesterday or tomorrow. It's it's very much a, you know a storm in a teacup type thing where that moment strikes and then that's the page that comes and it's 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 some sort of crazy Grant Morrison karma-based system that revolves around me. And it's exemplified here because that panel is fantastic where you can see what's going through Gordon's head. But Frank Miller actually wrote a screenplay for, for year one that I got my hands on. And this scene has uh, Gordon with the gun in his mouth, which I think is a step too far. And it yeah. shows that I think as Frank Miller took every step after this, he took steps too far, unfortunately for him. Um, and now he's too far gone. But that is just a perfect... A perfect moment. You can still see it all without it being 
Frank Miller. Well, that comes back to the discussion of there being multiple Frank Millers yes. as well. Yeah. I mean, yes. Even from an art point of view, it, it, just the, the, the sheer level of detail that's in that mm. thing, the creases on the sheets, the design on the thing. Magic Kelly just really paid attention to those moments. Yeah. That, that screenplay you mentioned, do you know how long after this he wrote that? I think it was late 80s. Late, I want to say late 80s. Okay, so a few yeah. years after this yeah, came yeah. out then. Yeah, because uh, as we know, year one sort of was attempted to be made into a film several times. Yeah. Uh, over the Ooh. years. It was going to be with Darren Aronofsky at one point. Of course, a lot of elements from this book ended up in Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. In fact, uh, some scenes are taken straight out of it. I mean, we all remember the scene in Batman Begins when the bats come flooding in. With the it, little transmitter in his, on his boot, mm. And that's straight out of this book. That's straight out of this completely. Um, the, uh, I think the, the, one of the things that's really striking about this book compared to mo- some modern comics writing is how minimalist the narrative is. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting that I mean, it it has the timestamps, and you're like jumping forward a month, and you're going here and there, and it covers the whole year. And sometimes a month will only get two pages or something like that, but you get enough of the sense of the character and what, how their arc is changing, and then you see them again three weeks later, and you can see how uh, Gordon is being worn down or how Batman's getting better. And I mean, it starts off with Bruce Wayne thinking he can do the whole like a uh, shambolic vet type thing on the street with the beanie and looking a bit disturbed and then trying to take on crime so eventually, you know, he sees the bat come in the window and, yeah, yes, father, I will become a bat and I will strike fear into them. And again, in the screenplay, he writes a lot of letters to his dad in the screenplay. He has, like, a crate full of them you see at the end. He's, like, been piling them up. Whereas in the book, it's a little more subtle, which is really kind of cool. Although what I find really interesting is he doesn't say, like, yes, dad and mom. Like, apparently he doesn't care that his mom died in Crime Alley. It's all like, yes, dad, I will do this, I will honour you. And he sort of forgot about his mother, um, which I find really strange. But, I mean, comic books are all about daddy issues. A little bit. There's also, yeah. we should also mention there is a third story arc in this as well. Because we're also seeing Selina Kyle from a very young is age. Is that a story arc? Well, it is kind of, because we're starting to see that whole birth of why she's doing what she's doing as well. Mm. I never quite thought that they fulfilled that, though, in this book. Because you kind of sit there and go... I can understand why they're doing it, because they want to introduce this iconic character, but at the yeah. same time you sit there and go, did we f- truly fulfill what we want? We, let's face it, what we want to see is that relationship forming, that dysfunctional relationship between yeah. Batman and her, and that never happens. No, it does have in the screenplay, but in the book it's just, it's seeded a little bit that she's sort of there, and she's a very a, a different sort of Catwoman. I mean, it, it appears she's a dominatrix or somewhere around that. Um, which is a really interesting take on the mm. character, but she almost comes across feeling like she's a bit of a madam at the beginning as well. well. I mean, she ends up being one in Dark Knight Strikes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's um, I mean, that's how Frank Miller sees women. Well, there is true. Yeah. <laughs> and and, if, and if the fact that she becomes one in Dark Knight uh, st- uh, returns or strikes again. I can't remember which one it is. Mm. Um, he, it is it is that uh, it is in the same continuity as this book. Yes. This book is unique in that everything else in the DCU ties into this book. But it's also in its uh, Elseworlds kind of universe. There's this little Millerverse that kind of exists. Which then culminates in All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, which I love. If anyone has read it, I know it's trash and I know it's actually (laughs) not good. It's possibly not even good. It's certainly not great, but I love it. There's something about it where it's like it's the goddamn Batman, which is so ridiculous, but... It is. The it, it is that I, I, I like. I like seeing characters be allowed. Uh, creators be allowed to take their take on a character and go with it. It's like when people complained 
about uh, Zack Snyder doing his take on Superman. I don't want to see Reeves' Superman, uh, Richard Donner, redone because it's been done and it is kind of perfect for what it is. I want to see Snyder's take on it. I personally like Snyder. Um, he does sort of fit the Miller view of gender roles as well. But I want to see him do his, his Superman and I want to see you know Miller do his Batman. And I'm fine with creators taking that character and saying, I'm going to deviate from the norm a little bit. Mm because that's how they want to attach to it. It's, if you're just going to... It's like when... Uh, and my favourite character is Daredevil. When people take on Daredevil and they just want to tell a Frank Miller Daredevil story because Frank Miller did kind of the ultimate Daredevil. I've seen that before. Show me Mark Wade's Daredevil. Yeah. Show me like where it can be done differently. Show me Brubaker's Daredevil, which is a different step. It's in the same genre tones as Miller, but it's totally different. Like I want to see them go down that path. Well, we kind of saw a little bit of that with uh, the fact that uh, with the Marvel Universe of films, we saw two very different takes on Captain America over yeah. two different films. Mm. So it's almost like seeing two different creators. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, yeah. I, and I think that's, that's you want to bring creators in because they're doing their good stuff and say, well, do that here. Like when Marvel brought in Jonathan Hickman and they were like, do your crazy, intricate stories with our stuff. They don't want to homogenize. And that's why they work, where I don't think DC... Well, I mean, it's shown editorially DC are, are sometimes uh, are dropping the ball with some of their top talent, mm. and that talent's walking because they're asking for conformity. I, I would, I would, if some, I mean, they've got uh, Batman 66 with Jeff Parker on, on digitally through Comixology. That's brilliant. I want to see Batman 66 coming through there. I think if they repackage the Schumacher films as a Batman 66 like redo, they people would be right into them and being like, oh, the Bat Nipples <laughs> are genius all of a sudden. Like, it's just about how you present it sometimes. Yeah, because there is no one Batman. People talk about this. That people sort of who'd say this isn't true to the Batman I know. Yeah, that's because there are about at least fifty different versions, but more. Every writer that's touched it. Hmm. Getting back to Morrison. Yeah, you know the whole idea that I mean, this one we see on screen here now. There's this sort of supernatural notion of Batman. That Batman is this force that can summon bats at will, almost. You know. Yeah. Whereas there's the other other Batmans. The the photo we showed before with the tank and the guns on the front. That's your you know militaristic. Yeah. Batman, that's you Zack know. Snyder Batman. That's, well, that's, <laughs> that's later Miller, you know, or earlier Miller Batman. <laughs> yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to add anything I, else When, this, when I re read through the book, I was like, you know, I'm coming up here. I want to have something to say about it. I didn't want to drop the ball for you guys. And so I was really trying to analyze the book and what, what is it. And it really, it finally struck me. It's a book of, like, duality basically and so we're looking at the ultimate hero as a fallible newbie we're looking at the ultimate cop as a fallible man we're looking at what should have been the, the ultimate sort of female hero Catwoman is an amazing character and they're showing her as sort of like a, a, a very different take on that and you're looking at Gotham and it should be this shining metropolis and it's not and I like that they then they mention metropolis and Superman and you get this feeling like oh that's that's a world apart. That's, that's operating on the other side of the coin from Gotham and it's grit and Batman who can't get things right. And it just seemed to me that constantly everything is grey in this book and you mm. get to see two sides of every character and there was no just like, I am this one stereotype and we'll move forward. Like my, Possibly my favourite scene in the book is when Batman uh, tries to take on the, the thieves in the fire escape. And yep. he completely botches it, and he nearly drops one on their head. And as he's saving the criminal, the other criminal's smashing him on the head with a TV. Now, they're obviously not good mates in this crime ring, because if he really smashes Batman in the head with a TV, he's going to drop his mate to his death, but he doesn't seem to care. And so it's like Batman, and he's just very sort of staccato captions being like, oh, i got to get through this, oh, i got to do this, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm an amateur. And he talks about doing it wrong, but he gets there in the end, and then he like slumps down in the fire escape and you can see he's just spent and like that's not what you see of superheroes and it's more just like 
This is a man as a superhero, which is really cool. That cuts to the core of what Bruce Wayne is. And I, and I love his internal monologue because all the way through it, Batman's internal monologue is stuffed it up, stuffed it up, yeah. stuffed it up. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's I gotta get better, I gotta get better, I gotta get better, you know? It's probably Frank Miller talking to himself. Yeah, probably. He <laughs> seems like the sort of guy that would berate himself. He's like the villain in a Dan Brown novel, just like whipping his bag. Do it better next time. But yeah, it is, it's, it's interesting sort of showing that. And I, I, I noted the boys last night at the pub that like uh, Rick Remender is a writer who has really taken that on and you can see it in Fear Agent and in his Captain America it's like these little short captions and it's just sort of like showing the core of the character and thoughts as they would be happening and they're not lucid and dreamy like when you see somebody in, in a comic and they're like trying to fight or they're trying to do something and their captions are really flowery no one thinks like that when they're you know about to fall off a fire escape it's like instinct and it's just like raw energy and Frank Miller can bring that to the page and has so often. And he did it to Daredevil and it made Dare... Daredevil was, it was, had gone to bi-monthly shipping and it was on its way out. And I mean, we look at the titles we lost in the 70s mm-hmm. and going into the 80s. We could, Daredevil could have been gone or could be a character we only see in minis. But Frank Miller, through just force of will, just retold that character down to this like guttural core sense and brought it back. And you look at Batman, it had been... It had been mired in the camp of Adam West for like two decades and it was just no one was paying any attention and he came in and he was like, I want to do this year one. And he really like, he pushed it into the stratosphere to the point where Hollywood took notice again and we get the 89 Batman from Tim Burton. Fallible as it is, is still really important that's helped propel that character for another, what, two, three decades. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about the Batman uh, reboot with year one effectively is that DC were doing a whole lot of reboots in the mid 80s. We yeah. had uh, Superman got rebooted after its movie and so forth. And, and the crisis DC... of Infinite Earths. And, exactly. And, and they really wanted this idea of you know, a new start. But mm. uh, I think Denny O'Neill, who was the uh, editor at the time, yeah. said that Batman's origin shouldn't be changed, but mm. it can be tweaked a little bit because yeah. it could be given more depth and complexities, which is what you get in this book here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the, the really interesting thing about Batman. Almost every superhero, when you think about it, their origin's been tweaked and tu- you know, touched up slightly over the years. Batman is still darkness, no parents, as we yeah. said before. You know? <laughs> that's still his motivating factor. And even like a Scott Snyder, who's been writing Batman for maybe three, four years now, mm. they rebooted DC with the new 52, as, as some of you may well know, and... and Scott Snyder was just kind of like, yeah, we're going to reboot the universe, but Batman's just still Batman. And he was very much like, killing joke's still there, all this stuff's still happening, there's some little continuity raindrops that have been deviated, but he's like, don't worry about it, we're just going to keep telling rad stories. And then eventually, editorial swamped over and was just like, someone's going to retell his origin. So either you can do it, or like probably somebody else will. And so Snyder kind of stepped up to the plate and did his zero year. And it's interesting that he... He didn't want to retell year one, but he wanted to... I think he just wanted to... It felt to me like he wanted to just show that year one basically still exists and he incorporated so many little pieces of it. And it was like getting to see uh, Greg Capullo, the artist, just do some like really good almost fan art, if you will, of the year one yeah. stuff. And that stayed the same. And Snyder hid that within a tale of the Riddler taking over Gotham and the, the early Bruce Wayne getting into it. But it didn't seem like he actually wanted to mess with year one. And I think that was a really smart idea, continuity-wise. But it, it may have flawed the story in points. Yeah. But um, year one stands and remains. Uh, I believe you. our fans are Thank here. <laughs> Someone's getting their clothes off. <laughs> what I thought was really interesting, though, was that Frank Miller managed to tell that year one story in four issues. 
Whereas Snyder, Snyder managed to drag it out over 12. Yeah. You know? And I, I, it shows you the power of how concise this was. This was, this was shed, shed of all of its fat. It was just trimmed down and it said, here's the story. Particularly given that we're actually telling the origin story of two and a half people effectively in this as well. And mm. not just Batman. Not an extraneous story on this. It's just a... And there's not a lot of meat to the story when you think about it. It's not... No. There's not a major villain that he has to fight yeah. at this stage. You know, there's no uh, the only villains they're fighting themselves really at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, it's like their own you know? their own demons within, and also oh, just deep. like some some mobsters <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's very low level. And I like, and I felt that there was that duality as well, where it's like they're just fighting base level crime because that's all there is. And it got me thinking. There's a, the very famous last uh, part of the book, which is uh, finally like uh, Gordon had been chasing, you know, the Batman, and he couldn't seem to figure it out. Even though his female partner, she had a peg dead to rights from the start. She's like really smart, and in typical like DC and Miller fashion, they were ignoring the girl who had the right idea, and they eventually get it. And so then Gordon and, and Batman are managing to work together, and at the very end. Gordon's sort of standing there very proud of himself saying, oh, well, now there's a new criminal. They've sort of, they haven't eradicated crime, which I find fascinating. Yeah. They didn't actually solve really anything. They just sort of, you know, became BFFs. And then they're like, well, what happens next? Well, if you've got this entry-level crime, but then you have someone dress as a bat and try and, like, take it to the next level, what's going to happen? The crime takes it to the next level. And that's where he says he's got, um, the, basically, the Joker is on the scene. And it, I like that that was their choice because that is the next step. Yep. It's not Mr. Freeze and it's not Batmite or any of that no, crazy it's stuff. Opposite. It's just you, you get a man dressed as a bat, we'll get a criminal and dress him as a clown. Like, and it is, and it's just slowly stepping up. And it's... I would have loved to have seen... Miller continue that. Well, we were talking about this with Nicholas Scott yesterday. We were actually talking about that duality, that the fact that the Joker and Batman are the opposites of each other. They are, they are, the uh, the series will end when one of them dies. Yep. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And you can make the argument that that's what the killing joke did. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know. But this is the panel that I've just pulled up here. This is exactly what Ryan was just talking about. This is this Ah, uh, final page here uh, where, you know, and if you've seen Batman Begins, this is the final scene of yeah. Batman Begins where he hands him the little this is his calling card it's the Joker huh? Huh? Yeah. and Get it? Uh, and uh, a sequel and uh, this, is, this is effectively this, the start of uh, Batman's career here and what he's saying here is I've got a friend he should be along any minute and, and you're right this is and this could go absolutely anywhere after that I mean thematically it was picked up by a couple of different writers you had Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale if you've read Batman The Long Halloween, yeah. uh, which is an amazing book if you get your hands on that. Which Christopher um, Nolan also borrowed heavily from. Exactly. From, yeah. uh, along the, all, all the yeah, Falcone stuff from mm, Batman mm. Begins was from that. Dark Victory. Sort of thematically, that, that sort of takes you through to there, but this has just been followed up in, in so many different places. You can feel the fingerprints of Miller, but this, this final panel that's here on yeah, absolutely yeah. anything that's mm. come since. Uh, we, I suppose we should talk a little bit more about Mazzucchelli's art. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I, had, I was listening to a podcast recently, and they were talking about year one, and uh, the podcast was like, oh, I really love the story, but the art is terrible. And I was like, stop, right, I'm done with that podcast. The art in this <laughs> is simple. It's simple, that's fine. But it is so elegantly effective. It is amazing. It is, a, again, I'll use the word a clinic. It is a clinic on storytelling and just boiling things down. And one thing I noticed was... Um, it's like there's detail and then there's not. And Harvey Dent never has a lot of detail. Like Harvey Dent is just the attorney in there. He's not two-faced yet. He, he barely has a face sometimes. He's just very, very simple. Whereas like Bruce Wayne um, is Gregory Peck. 
If you look closely, he absolutely is Gregory Peck in this story, which is, I think is really awesome. And then everybody else is sort of like, well, we'll bring you into focus when we need you. But Mazzucchelli, I mean, he certainly didn't invent the style, but if you look at comics now and you have people like uh, David Aha on Hawkeye and you have Chris Somney on Daredevil, Cameron Stewart, who did uh, Sin Tulo, which was an online web comic, and he's worked with Grant Morrison and he's uh, uh, working on the Batgirl the pseudo reboot at the moment. There's a lot of these simple artists who are using shadow and uh, just using silhouette and using simple lines to tell really elegant stuff. I agree. And uh, yeah, again, this, this panel on screen is just a great example of that. It's, Batman's one of those characters you can put in profile and still mm. know exactly what he is. And Mazza Kelly plays up on that. Yeah. It's all light and shadows in this book. Particularly this scene here where he's, he's closing the last little bit of light on these, uh, uh, these fat cats, that little bit of audio we played at the start. You know, you've eaten well yeah. on Gotham, and now it's time. One of the so. most iconic scenes in the, in the book. book. Can I say, one of the strangest little scenes in the book, though, uh, caught my eye was where uh, Gordon is talking to Dent in his office, and he's basically saying, we need to clean all this up, and Dent, Dent says, yeah, yeah, we'll work on it, and he shoes him out, and we get a, a reverse shot, and Batman's hiding behind his desk. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it comes out of the 1940s. It's really <laughs> weird. It's just like... it's. Batman's in like a goofy pose and <laughs> you kind of think like his cow was probably poking out the whole time and, and as, as Gordon's walking out Batman's like oh, I guess he didn't see me there huh? <laughs> just, just hiding back nobody here but us bats almost like stands out as goofy I, I totally paused yeah. on that panel as well and was like <laughs> It's kind of very odd. Normal, but like, yeah, very, Batman's very not normally given to playing hide and seek. He's back there going, 10, yeah. 9, <laughs> eight, just under the seven. desk. Yeah, he's, he's the world's greatest detective. You'll never see me around this thing. Like it's a <laughs> yeah, fascinating little moment. Yeah. You got yourself a couple of those pointy bat things behind the table there. Yeah, and, no, that's uh, just to say uh, I opened cans of Coke on there. And shotgun <laughs> on there. <laughs> I will say this page that's up here, I'm a, I'm a primary school teacher. I teach uh, year five and six. And uh, I do an activity in my literacy rotations called comic rewriting. And so the kids, they get a, a comic page and they have to write it as a narrative. It's a great exercise in visual literacy and turning it into vocabulary exploration. And I did this page with my class as like the proto version of how to set it out. And the class smashed it, absolutely smashed it. And they were like, they were, I mean, everyone knows Batman. So the kids were able to instantly connect. They didn't have to worry about it. And they knew and they were able to sort of say like, um, you know, the mood and they were able to bring tone and sort of timber to the page. It was fascinating. Although in the third panel, the kids were like, and then Batman's mustache. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm looking at it going, that is a pretty killer stash. <laughs> but it's a shadow. And you saw a bunch of kids be like, oh, I thought Batman had a stash. Whereas Batman does have a stash in uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns at the start. He, like, mm. well, as much as he's Gregory Beck here, Frank Miller draws him like Tom Selleck, like Magnum oh. BI in, in, in DKR. And he looks he Except looks pretty on good. steroids. Well, yeah. <laughs> but he looks really good with the stash. It's a so real the more I looked at that panel, I was like, oh, I want the stash It's back. a real shame Affleck's not gone with a stash. He would so do a good handlebar too. Could Man. rock the stash. Like could yeah. rock it. Your big seventies, you yeah. know, handlebar. Oh, it probably looked like um, Big Daddy in um, Kickass. So yeah. <laughs> and then and then we had Nick Cage, and then you start thinking about Nick Cage as Man of Steel, and those photos that leaked, and then it all gets a bit. Yeah, I think I think on that. I mean, um, Mazzucchelli himself said that the more realistic heroes are the less believable they become. Yeah. And the only time heroes are real, or well, superheroes are real, is in pen and ink up yeah. here. And I think that's true. I mean, that's why, you know, you, you, when you see a superhero movie, you start questioning, well, who's filling Batman's gas tank? 
Yeah, yeah. Who's pumping up Who's his tires? You know, yeah. who's what? fixing his? I mean, obviously Alfred's doing it. And I'll take this for like, you, Why are they Bruce? body painting instead of yeah. wearing like leather? Or, like it just becomes a bit. Yeah, you don't want to overanalyze it sometimes. Even though yeah. we just set up a show where we're going to analyze analyze it. a book for now. You know, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like I, the the bat suit in this is really like really pared down, and it's just gray and black, and it's just got like the black bat across the chest with gray. And I actually saw someone in a t-shirt yesterday, just a gray t-shirt with the black bat, and I just wanted to like take it off him and throw him in a dumpster, like. I wanted the shirt. I don't know why he had it. It was annoying. But it's a really, like, pared down thing. Like, obviously, that whole idea, and Miller was really against it, that whole idea of the yellow thing there. And the, the idea of the yellow circle around the bat symbol is that, uh, you've got one up the back there on a green shirt. Sorry to point somebody out. But um, that yellow <laughs> circle around the bat thing was meant to be, like, a, a target. Yeah. Because his pecs are so strong they can bounce off bullets. No, I he's wearing Kevlar. Kevlar. It was one or the other. I always forget. <laughs> the idea is that it's supposed to draw the bullets there so that they don't shoot him in his gigantic Affleck chin that is exposed. <laughs> so, and, and Miller hated that and that's why in Dark Knight Returns he starts off with the yellow thing and then conveniently in a fight it starts to get torn off and then uh, it's gone for the rest of the book. So he, he met the DC editorial mandate that he had to fit that that's what the costume looked like and then in narrative destroyed it which I thought is genius. Can I just spin this around again back to something you said earlier, which was how he refers to Gotham, uh, how he refers to Metropolis, sorry, yeah. uh, in this. Frank Miller doesn't really like Superman very much, I don't think, because no. it's a very unflattering portrait of him in Dark Knight Returns. Oh, yeah. yeah. And in this, it's almost like a, a, a backhanded comment. When in they... in uh, the all-star Batman and Robin the Robin. Boy Wonder, Superman's like an idiot. From memory, <laughs> if I, unless I've got it wrong. He's a bit of a clown. Unless I, I mean, I know... In, in that book, they take Green Lantern and they put him in a yellow room with, like, lemonade and then they kick the <laughs> dust out of him. And it's, it's awesome. But, yeah, from memory, like, Superman and I think Wonder Woman are together in that and they were together in Dark Knight Strikes Again, mm -hmm. which is the ghastly sequel to Dark Knight Returns. That's um, the other, other Frank Miller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the post-9-11 Frank Miller, that yeah. one. You can actually, if you, if you ever read back, uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again, you can see the panel where Frank Miller just loses it completely. Yeah. Oh, is that the one with the Muppet on it, right? Where he, It's almost like he's just laying down on the desk, not really caring anymore. <laughs> he literally has a character that has a little round head. It looks like something out of a Burton Ernie nice. sketch. It's really quite amazing. Especially a newsreader. And you go, yeah, you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, we could talk about this book all day, but we've only been given an hour on stage. So I think we can safely say, David, that this is a book that we highly recommend. It's what we call... This is Comics 101. Absolutely. So go and, go and buy a copy. Go and see if King's Comics has got a copy of it. Uh, this, this is a must-have uh, book. You can also get it online, DC app, those kind of things. The, uh, the, the comics, if anybody uses the Comixology app yeah. on their like, i and Android devices, and you can go to comixology.com, um, mm. they, they periodically will have like Batman sales, and they'll sell yeah. a bunch of stuff. They're always selling year one dollar an issue, so you can get it for four bucks. And... It's, it it's is one it. of the best comics I've made. You can get it for $4 digitally. That is pretty insane. So I would suggest if you see that coming up, I mean, when the next movie comes out, I'm sure they'll have a sale, but they'll yeah. probably have one before then as mm -hmm. well. Super worth tracking down. Although, I mean, it's, it's one of the few things you really you want to hold and you want to own. It and, just I mean, looks beautiful in print. And especially, like, it's, it's got the old sort of... I mean, DC have always been pretty cheap on their paper, which some people don't <laughs> like. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, try, I try to get my comics printed on the cheapest paper possible <laughs> until my printer said to me once, oh, it kept jamming in the printer because your pa the paper you're asking for is, is pulp. 
And I was like, oh, so they had to lift it up. But DC, they have a better printer that can handle like really cheap, like newsprint paper. And it just adds to that vibe. It's like, it's, it's gritty colors. It's like really good ink lines. Well, it's it was made before, before digital color and stuff. So see yeah, it the way yeah. it was meant to be. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. So I like... If you dig Batman, like I would suggest getting it. If you've got it at home, read it again. It's the sort of book you can read and read. And, and you can read quickly, which is kind of cool, and just sink into it. And if you're a creator, which I know there are some people here who are making their own comics, reverse engineer it in your head. I mean, Matt Fraction, who is, a, I feel, an amazing writer when yeah. he's amazing. When he's not, he's not a good writer. <laughs> um, but when he's on, on point, and he has a, 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 like a writing exercise he does where he took the first issue of year one, like the actual comic, and he tried to write the script for it of how he thinks it would break down. And that's such a good like schooling clinic on how to like work out how a page will flow. It just gets you thinking about it in an alternate way. So for anybody who does create uh, comics, think about that because this is is just so well put together and just so perfect in, in so many ways that I, well, I couldn't recommend that note, uh, We actually, two of you are going to walk away with a print copy. I hope I'm one of them. Uh, and also some calendars and some DC reading guides, thanks to our friends at King's Comics, and a double pass to the other Frank Miller movie that's coming out, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Nice. Uh, thanks to our friends at Icon. Uh, now, get your tickets ready. Uh, I'm just going to call John Miss, D to the stage. Mr. John D, our friend from... From Nerd Corner. You can find me somewhere. There you go. There's your plug. <laughs> get out of here. In a dressing <laughs> gown. Take it over to our good friend, Mr. Lindsay, over here. Ryan, will you please do the honours and draw the first prize? Uh, so the prize that you're getting here has a double pass to Sin City Dame to Kill for. It has a copy of uh, Batman Year One. It has some wonderful free stuff that's come to us uh, to give away to you from King's Comics. Uh, so first winner is... Ryan K. Lindsay. Oh, hey! Hey! Uh, Blue D31. Blue, Blue D31. D31. We here have he a winner. Hey! Give him a clap. <laughs> Here you go. Enjoy. Brilliant. Now, yeah, nice. you can hold that too. <laughs> now, Mr. Lindsay, would you do the honors and draw out a second prize? Second. Da, 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 da. Let me guess. Ryan Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> it's blue. It's D17. Blue D17. Any, any winners? 17. Going in five. Going in four. Four. Three. Two, one, dead draw it again. again. All right, let's try again. What do we got? Blue D30. 30. 30. Blue Ready? D30. Hey. 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 Oh, that was Sit rigged. Next to each other. <laughs> that was rigged. Nice. <laughs> right, <sorry, man. laughs> Thank you. Enjoy. What a lovely yeah, pink bag you guys chose. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely, isn't it? There's soaps in there. There's bat soaps. <laughs> <laughs> you throw them and they'll batarang around. That's now, right, Lion. We have the finest collection of bat soaps available <laughs> here at the Oz Comic Con. Smell like Affleck. <laughs> now, would Smell you mind like if uh, we opened it for a few questions? Oh, no. That'd be awesome. I love questions. Does anybody have any questions about the book or for Ryan K. Lindsay that you'd like to get off your chest? And Anyone? Hint. We have more stuff to give we away do. after we ask a question. <laughs> no questions. Wow. I wow. think we answered everything. You don't want free How stuff? Amazing. Wow. <laughs> well, if you want free stuff, just come and see us after the show. <laughs> and I owe We've you got something free. free, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Could you please join me in thanking Mr. Ryan K. Lindsay for joining us here on Behind Thanks, the Panels? Guys.
Feel free to stop by my table. I'll be there for the rest of the afternoon before I make the long drive back to Canberra to uh, no doubt walk into a house where one of my children will be awake and wanting me. And then I go back to teaching tomorrow and I'll probably be teaching comics yet again. I actually have a literacy club that I run in the afternoons and we're going to do some comic stuff tomorrow. So where were comics, you comics, when comics. I was in school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was probably in... I was actually, you probably weren't born yet, but that's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we can find you online at ryanklindsay.com. Is yeah, that right? ryanklindsay.com and on Twitter at, at ryanklindsay. And I, I, I tweet a lot. I tweet too much, possibly, but uh, trying to balance that out between writing the actual comics and making stuff happen. Plenty of stuff over there. One of the things we didn't mention, the comic that I have that is a huge seller, and who knew that people wanted an Australian political science fiction thriller? Yes. It's called The Many Harold Holtz of Space and Time. Brilliant. And those of you who know Harold Holt, he was an Australian prime minister who went for a swim at the beach didn't and just... Back. Kept on keeping on, I guess, because we never saw him again. Uh, I write a story where we look at the many conspiracy theories that have been posited about him, and we look at them all coming true at the same time. And we have an Atlantean halt and a uh, Russian jetpack <laughs> flying halt and an alien halt, and they're all converging on Cheviot Beach for a Royal Rumble 80 years in the future. I'm coming yeah, to buy this this afternoon. It, it it's a, a lot of fun, board. and Australian uh, Sydney-based artist Louis Joyce does the art, and he is phenomenal. It's amazing. Go get it now from either of those booths. Just Save go me one of those. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining us here. Until our next show, which you can find online at BehindThePanels.net, I'm Richard Gray. I'm David McVeigh. I'm Ryan K. Lindsay. And this has been Behind the Panels. <laughs>